Just a quick show of hands, who owns the property here? Put your hands up in Australia. One, hey. property, property in Australia? Anyone own more than five properties in Australia? Keep your hand up. Anyone own more than 10? Anyone own more than 20? <laughs> so, so all I'm gonna to do to start with is just talk to the guys about their strategies and stuff like that. So I think, John, why don't, actually, why don't we just introduce everyone first? We'll start with Mark. What's your specialty? What, what are you an expert in? Um, your professionalism, background, all that. So my name is Mark. I run my own law firm specializing in conveyancing. Has anyone ever heard of conveyancing before? Boring. It is indeed. A lot of paperwork, but basically a lot of handholding, a lot of reviewing contracts, giving advice on a property. What is the right property? What isn't the right property? What's a property maybe you should buy, maybe you shouldn't. So basically looking after all the nitty gritty paperwork that you're all needing someone to do. So that's me. Simon? Uh, I'm a buyer's agent. Some so is British, by the way. I am, very clearly. That's a joke, you can laugh. <laughs> I was born in Hong Kong when British was when Britain was running it. So yeah, am, there you go. I am technically British. <laughs> um, but no, I'm a buyer's agent. We focus on investment properties, uh, mostly uh, off-market and uh, distressed deals where we buy, I would say, about 10 to 20% below market value. So that's kind of our specialty, and most of our clients are after passive income. So... You know, we build large portfolios for people to uh, accumulate a lot of equity and they can use that to get financial freedom or maybe spend it on a dream home in Sydney or whatever, wherever they're from. So, yeah, that's, that's, our, that's our core business. And how many properties do you own exactly? Uh, I currently have 26 um, and my debt level is less than 20%. So I've got, that's where the, if you're on the forums, you know, Ross keeps telling everyone I've got a lot of passive income, that's where it comes from, so yeah. 700k a year? Yeah, John? <laughs> sure, uh, so John Sermon, I work with a company called Your Empire, so we're buyers agents, we focus in Sydney, uh, Brisbane and Melbourne, I guess we focus a little bit more on helping people buy their home. Uh, a lot of Poms, we would like to have our own home, it's what we've kind of been built, brought up with. Build investment portfolios, holiday homes, I guess navigate the journey from what we're used to back home to the, the buying and selling process is very different over here. And obviously I'll say to the gents here, the money we're talking is a bit lumpier. So there's less room for margin, uh, less margin for errors. Most of what we buy is pre-auction. So Ken and I, my colleague, everything we buy pretty much we do before auction. Uh, we can get it off market. So before it hits domain, before it hits realestate.com. Uh, and I guess for me, I'm always happy to have a conversation about getting on the ladder, uh, my, pop, my, my journey, myself, um, and obviously work with Ross on the finance side of things too. So thank you very much. Simon, just to, just to go back to you next, um, obviously your strategy is based mainly in Queensland and Western Australia. Can you explain what that strategy is and why it works? So um, Queensland and uh, Perth at the moment are closer to the start of the boom cycle. Right, Sydney and uh, Melbourne has grown uh, relentlessly for about 10, uh, 10, 15 years. So, you know, naturally we just kind of move where the markets are starting to, or in the midst of going through that same growth. Um, and a large part of what we do is ensuring that not only are we getting good deals and good bargains, but ensuring that we also have good cash flow. 
So a lot of the properties we buy typically have about 6.5%, maybe to 7% rental yields off the bat. And that allows a lot of our clients to buy a house, hold on to it and wait until it goes up in value, where they obviously make you know, capital growth and a lot of money. So, um, you know, currently, look, Brisbane, we're about five years into the boom. So, you know, arguably we've missed out on that initial cycle. Uh, but I do believe since there's about 30,000 people moving to Brisbane every month, I do believe that I guess consistently over the next five, 10 years, there will be steady growth, especially in certain pockets of Brisbane where it's going through a lot of gentrification, uh, meaning like a crappy area turning into a less crappy area. So uh, that's Brisbane. Perth is a little bit newer. Perth's about 18 months into the boom. So, you know, I would say there's about 10,000 people a month at the moment moving to Perth. And uh, that's creating a lot of demand for, for houses and, you know, people looking for houses to rent as well. But in short, we buy below market so that people can leverage off that pretty much immediately to buy another house. And that, that's how they build a large portfolio. And that's how I initially built my portfolio to get to uh, my passive income goals and quit my day job and all that kind of stuff. So I don't know how many people here are after investors, investment properties, but you know, maybe a mix of people looking for houses to live in and investments and so on, so yeah. And John, your, your strategy is slightly different, obviously more blue chip Sydney orientated. So if you want to sort of explain to the guys what your strategy is and why it's slightly different to what Simon does with his stuff. Yeah, sure. So I guess for, for us, if we're talking about uh, people buying a home, people obviously want to live where they want to live. Um, if we're looking at investments, we tend to focus on what we call the blue chip areas. So if you think areas of very high demand, very limited supply, um, that's where people want to live in Sydney. So we also look at the median property in the median suburb for the median price. So in Sydney, most people live in a one or two bedroom unit. In Queensland, in Perth, Adelaide, most people live in a townhouse or a villa. Sorry, Queensland, most people live in a three or four bedroom home. Melbourne, townhouse or villa. So as long as you're buying the median style property as an investment, where most people can afford to live and most people can afford to rent it in a good location, and you're holding on for the long term, you should be okay. So if you think in Sydney, we're typically buying Bondi, um, Kirribilli, Mossman, Cremorne, Coogee, Neutral Bay, the Low North Shore. So we don't buy, if you think of the CBD as the playground, we don't buy in the playground because there's unlimited height restrictions. We buy just outside. So where we all like to commute from, we can all go into the city, but we've all got the lifestyle as well because that's why we moved over here, right? So we don't want to spend time on the M25 or at London or Luton Airport, all that stuff. It's actually so we can enjoy the lifestyle. So that tends to be where we focus, where we buy. So it's that long-term hold. So think of it as buying Comsec shares, Macquarie shares. It's just holding for 10, 20 years. So I bought my first place in Bondi in 2015, second place in Bondi 2017. I've never seen them. Um, they've just been tenanted ever since I bought them. For me, they were spreadsheets. I guess the, the nuance between Simon and I's approach is in Sydney, you're typically buying for that long-term capital growth. So they're either gonna be cash flow neutral or slightly negatively geared. So if you don't understand what negatively geared means, long story short is where your mortgage repayments aren't covered by the rent. So there's a, there's a, a tax benefit, but speak to your advisor or your accountant. If you're looking for passive income, that's where the rental income is gonna cover but it depends on your income levels as well. So a lot of high income earners, they don't mind negative gearing because it offsets their income. 
typically lower income earners like the passive cash flow because it helps offset that. So I'll explain a little bit on both of those strategies so you can understand how it looks from a lending perspective. So my job is to strategize how you borrow your money the most efficient way. Um, so if Simon refers me a client, I basically will sit there and I know that Simon's going to buy the property below market value. So he's going to gain a little bit when he buys it. I also know that when I go back to that bank, I'll be able to revalue that property at a slightly higher rate than what they purchased it at. So if they've put down a 20% deposit, which is like, let's say the house value is this, they've put down a 20% deposit this, Simon's taken a chunk off the top as well. We can basically release equity and buy another property again quite quickly, but you're buying cheaper property, which is going to grow relatively quickly in the market where Simon buys. Um, and then we can sort of turn around the portfolio quite quickly. You're not necessarily going to have positive cash flow, but these are going to be in areas where arguably in the next 10 years, they're going to double, maybe triple in price. So if, you're, if you've got a good job with good cash flow and you don't necessarily need the cash coming into your account every single month, then buying in areas like Bondi, Coogee, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, anyone that comes over here or definitely moves over from the UK and Ireland, where do they want to live? Do they want to live in fucking Parramatta? Who wants to live in the Parramatta? No one wants to live in Parramatta. You came over here for sun, sea, sand, right? You came in for the city life. That's why you moved to Australia in the first place. Everyone wants to live in the eastern suburbs, the lower North Shore, Surrey Hills, Paddington, Northern Beaches. That's where you want to live, right? So this is the adopted strategy of rent vesting, which these guys both used basically, is you rent where you want to live and then you invest in property that you know is going to bring good income or good results and capital gains long term. So that's kind of what we're looking at. What Mark's job is, is to make sure that you're not buying any red flags. So just to go back to Mark, what's the, what's the most common thing that you see where people make mistakes in the sort of properties that they want? To well, the most common issue, if you buy a unit, people don't get a strata report or they don't get a professional to review the contract. So, how many people here want to buy a unit as their first home? Don't be embarrassed. How many people want to buy a house? Okay, there you go. We're buying a house. It's very important to know what you're buying. You're not just buying the house, you're buying the land. So, we have land contracts, which are the contracts between you guys and the sellers. It shows all the services, sewer lines. Is there a sewer line running directly under the house? Do you want to buy a house to knock it down and rebuild it in a few years' time? Hey, sorry, you can't do that because you have a sewer running underneath the property. You're very restricted. Do you want to buy an apartment? Oh, what a great apartment. But guess what? The apartment's falling apart. So every three months with apartment owners, you pay a strata levy of, let's say, $1,000, $1,500. strata levy goes towards the administration fund, the capital works fund. That pays for the day-to-day -day maintenance of the building. And a lot of instances, and unfortunately in a lot of apartments, they don't have a supply and they don't have a lot of money in there. So when something comes up and needs urgent repairs, where do they get the money from? You guys, special levy. So for example, there's one instance, someone bought an apartment in Mascot, they didn't do a strata report because why would I spend $300 on a strata report if I'm buying a property for 1.2 million? Six months later, they got stung with a special levy and that was $60,000. Wow. And I'm like, well, I told you to get one. So the most common problem, they don't go to a professional before they sign the contract. So before you put pen to paper, it's a good idea to understand what you're signing. Usually when you sign a contract, the settlement period is six weeks. Sometimes, and Ross and I have discovered this, 
the settlement period could be four weeks and Ross could be going through a bank that may not be quick enough to turn around in four weeks. Each day you delay the settlement, you pay about eight or $900 a day. Eight or $900 a day doesn't sound like much, but when you consider that over two weeks, that's your furniture for your first home. That's your, you know, housewarming party stuff. So it's always important to get someone to review the contract and that's the most common issue. People don't let me review the contract until after they've signed it and by the time they've signed, I'm like, hey, we're gonna to have to cancel the contract and forfeit your small initial deposit, your holding deposit, because there's a lot of issues here, unless you wanna proceed with it. Cheers for that, mate. So let's go, let's go back to John on this one. So <clears throat> talking of apartments, you've got specific rules and regs which you have as a company, which you will only buy certain types of property in certain areas. Mm -hmm. Can you just let everyone know what those types of properties are and why you choose to only buy those types of properties? So look, we're focusing purely on the investment side here, but we can use the same rules for, for buying a home as well, if it's a unit too. So um, to, to Mark's point, what we typically try and avoid is apartments where there's gyms, lifts, pools, elevators. Because what that will do to that quarterly strata bill is that increases it quite a lot. So let me break it down. I live in Piermont, down on, just uh, on Jackson's Landing. Love where I live. Got 24-hour security. I got gym. I don't use it. Um, couple of pools, everything, right? Great spot. I don't pay that strata, I pay rent. My two units in Bondi, they're one of six, they're one of nine, as in a bl the block. There's no lift, there's no gym, there's no pool. All right, so the strata fee is pretty low. It's about 1,100 bucks a quarter, okay? But the rent covers that. So typically when we're looking at it from an investment point of view, we're helping our clients find homes, we look at what that is. Because if you're buying in the right locations, you don't need all those nice things because you've got it on your doorstep anyway, especially if you're in the east along the beaches area. So to Mark's point, by doing the due diligence, who's bought a second-hand car here? You do, did, did you get a roadworthy done? Did you check it out? No? Right, okay, <laughs> fair play. But most people get a bit of due diligence. So it's, it's absolutely, uh, and we're spending a lot of money, right? It's Sydney. So you wanna do your DD on what you're buying, but just because it's old and by the beach, or something, it doesn't mean it's also a relic as well. As we all get older, we all need a bit of TLC. It's the same with the buildings that we're buying as well. And Simon, your rule, so a lot of people recently will call me and they'll say, there's a builder in WA that's getting me these properties for 350 grand for a two bed house, whatever, in Perth. Um, why would you advise not going down that route and probably finding something which is a bit older, a bit more established? Look, in short, when you buy brand new properties in Australia, whether it's house and land packages, off the plan units, you're typically getting ripped off because the developer takes a cut, the builder takes a cut, and the person selling it to you takes a cut. And let's say the house is all the units worth $500,000, instead of paying 450 or less, which is what you should be doing, you actually pay 550 or 600. So even if it grows in value, I mean, you get a shiny new product and you know, a lot of marketing brochures and glossy stuff, you know, fancy salespeople and all that kind of stuff. But at the end of the day, you're just paying well over market. So look, the houses we buy, they're not, they're not like 50, 60 year old dilapidated. They're typically like, you know, 15, 20 year old, four bed, two bath, two garage, 600 square meter brick. Um, we avoid renos, so these are just clean, safe and tidy type properties. 
you buy them, you rent them out. Within six months, typically we get the clients go back to Ross, revalue the property, pull out 50 to 100K equity uh, because we bought below, and then we use that to buy the next one. So essentially you're building, I guess, a large portfolio of these really sort of bread and butter, you know, everyone wants to live in them. They're always going to be attractive to tenants and young families and super low maintenance. Um, and these are the type of properties that when you sell one day will typically attract like a very emotional buyer that will hopefully pay too much for it, you know, at auction because there's a lot of FOMO and that kind of stuff. So, so yeah, you know, we, we tend to go for existing houses, but not too old. Yeah, so that's, that's basically why. Cool. And John, for, for a few people here, some people will be here because they want to buy an owner occupied property, they just want to get their first property. And some people want to buy investment property. How do you guys find out, understand, get the goals list together, talk to people about what their future looks like in the next five, 10, 15, 20 years? Just having a conversation. Um, I mean, everybody in this room is probably different in terms of their aspiration. What they want, do they want a family? Um, is it a three to five year home? Is it a forever home? Is it their first investment? Do they want to buy one to then get to 10? Um, Simon's obviously been incredibly successful on the journey. Chris, who started the business, you know, uh, I guess he's probably the original rent investor before it became a hashtag. So the chap who started your empire, so there's some books on the table. He's a fellow POM. He retired from Deloitte at 35. He was getting more money from his property than he was his salary. He rents in Darling Point. He's got 12 units in Coogee, two in Bondi. I went to his house actually last week. Yeah. Uh, Seven million dollar property, rents it for 16.50 a week. Yeah. So investing that money <coughs> into property, you know, he'd be paying out five times that. So is everyone familiar with the term rent vesting? Because I certainly wasn't before I moved here. So rent vesting is a few nods and a few shakes. So let me give you the executive, right? So rent vesting is where you rent where you want to live. But as you know, expats, we were always told that rent money is dead money and that poor people rent, right? Rent money is not dead money if you're doing something with the money. So if you rent where you want to live, so let's say I rent in Piermont because I'd like to live there. If I'm not doing anything else with that money and I'm coming to the Paddington all the time and having a few schooners and all that, that's dead money. But if I've still got effectively over $2 million worth of money in the market in property, one, I've not got all that mortgage stress on my own because I've got tenants paying most of that off, but two, I've still got $2 million in the market that's compounding and growing year on year. Yeah, I've still got my lifestyle. So we get a lot of people, a lot of you know, young expats, they go, I want to buy my first home because it's what we've been, we've been brought up with, right? And you say, well, what's your budget? And unfortunately in Sydney, we want the lifestyle, but we can't necessarily afford to live where we want to live. And that's the reality of it, right? So by, able, by being the, doing the rent vesting strategy, you can live where you want to live, but still have that money in the market. And that might be just, and I never mean to be flippant about money, that might be just putting $700,000 in an investment property in the, in the inner west. It might be looking interstate. But as long as you've got your lifestyle and you're making your money work for you, but you can also overcapitalize. So to Ross's point, where uh, Chris lives, who started your empire, he's done the numbers. Typically, if you're investing over kind of two million on a property, you can the yields start to diminish. So if you can live in a in a better place that's more expensive and rent it, 
but still have that money and buy property having that work for you. And that's all explained in the book as well. So feel free to have a little read through that. But that's really rent vesting. So rent where you want to live, but use your income to then still buy assets that work for you, that grow, compound, and then you can have that lifestyle that we all moved over here for. Are you renting, Mark? Are you still renting? No, I've, I own a property. So you, Mark's the only person on this panel that is actually paying for his own mortgage. <laughs> I'm old school, traditional. <laughs> Mark, Mark's got other properties though. But I'll give you an example. Like I've just moved, I just, the property that I j recently just moved from in Artarman uh, sold for 3.2 million to an overseas Chinese buyer. <clears throat> Cash, no mortgage, right? I moved down the street, I was paying, I was paying 12.50 a week for that property. If I was to get a mortgage on that property, it was gonna be 18 grand a month. Yeah, it's way, it's way higher, right? You gotta find 10 to 20% deposit. You gotta pay lender's mortgage insurance on top. Stamp duty was gonna be next to like nearly 200 grand. You're never gonna see that money again, that's dead money. Um, and I luckily moved two streets down the road to a property that sold last year for 3.8 million because they spent too much money on it. I got it revalued because I thought, I've got the software in front of me, I'll have a look. Property's valued at 3.3, so they've lost 500 grand on it because they were emotionally involved in purchasing that property. Um, I now rent that for 1,100 a week. If I was to get a mortgage on that, it's gonna be close to 14 grand a month on that property. So I pay 4,400 a month for a mortgage which would cost me 14K a month, which is why rent vesting especially in Sydney, not necessarily other states, but especially if you live in Sydney and you want to stay in Sydney, is probably the wisest decision for, for, for your money. And just to build on that, so both Simon and I mentioned that we buy things off-market pre-auction. Mm -hmm. The beauty of doing that is because you want to tr try and avoid competition, all right? The worst thing to do, the difference between Sydney and the UK and, and parts of Ireland that I, I recall is we have an auction over here. You don't really do, we don't really do that in the UK. The whole purpose of an auction is to increase the price, all right? Imagine if there's one glass of wine left in this room and we had to bid on it. You go easy, I'm looking at you. But imagine there's one glass of wine left in this room and you had to bid on it to who gets the last, who gets it, right? That's the purpose of an auction, is to build momentum, build competition so you overpay. So if Simon's buying things that's under value, and if we're buying things that are off-market and pre-auction, which helps on the finance side of things, you're not eating away at 10, maybe 10 years worth of capital growth of equity that you might want to pull out to buy another home. You might want to pull out because you need to fly home very quickly and spend a few grand on flights. It happens. So if one of your takeouts tonight is just do not go to auction, do not overpay on property, because there's people here that can help you navigate that journey. All right. So I'm just going to ask each one of you one tip for anyone here. So Mark, let's start with you. One tip that you would give to someone that's buying their first property or first investment. If you have the money available, don't wait, just buy it. The longer you wait, the higher, the more competition you're going to get. If you feel it's the right property, just buy it. Don't worry what's going to happen in six months time. Don't worry what Bob's telling you. Don't worry what your grandma's telling you. Just buy the property if you like it and you can afford it. Simon? Biggest tip would be to set yourself a very defined goal. You know, I'm talking from like an investment property perspective. So for example, my initial goal was to get to 100K passive uh, with a goal to quit my day job. You know, that was what I always wanted because I hated working nine to five. 
not because I was lazy, but I'm a very goal-driven person. So yeah, anyway, I, 100 grand, two grand a week, one investment property is gonna get you 500 bucks a week in rent. So that means you need four houses fully paid off. So four houses fully paid off typically means you need to buy about eight to 10 houses over time. And as you accumulate towards eight to 10, you might have the option to sell some of the initial ones, take the profit and pay off slowly the ones that you own. So if your goal is to, let's say, give yourself 10 years to get to 100K passive and you need to buy 10 properties, that's one a year. And now you can look at your financial situation, your income, you can talk to Ross about how much you can borrow and how you can consistently buy one property every year. And it just gives you a lot more focus. Otherwise, like there's so many things you can do with property. You can buy resi, commercial houses, units, townhouses, regional versus capital cities. Um, and everyone you speak to will have a different opinion. So having very clearly defined goals, just kind of, you know, set your own path and you kind of block out the noise around you. So yeah, set your own goals. John? You don't know what you don't know. So I would never pull out my own teeth. I'd never operate on my own heart. I'd never represent myself in court. So why as an expat would I buy my own property in one of the most competitive markets in the world? So there's enough expertise in the room. I've spoken to a few of you in terms of what you guys do. I'd have no idea what you guys do from a, from a trading point of view, but outsource that stuff. So don't be afraid to ask questions. Get the information, take your time, but to Mark's point, take action. So we've already seen the property prices in Sydney grow 5% in the last quarter. We've already seen borrowing capacity decrease with, with the interest rate rises. So those of you that aren't doing anything, but you want to get on the ladder, you're going backwards, you're going further and further backwards every day. But that doesn't mean you should be afraid to ask questions. Well, I think for me, if I give you one piece of advice, if you've spent years and years and years trying to save for a deposit on a property, when I get the email that says, I think I might wait a year because I'm going to save because I want this property, you've just spent years saving for that first deposit. You're not going to save out you're not going to out save the growth on that property right so next year that property is going to be worth five percent more and the year after that it's going to be worth five percent more and if you compound that over seven to ten years it's going to be worth double the amount that it was worth when you first wanted it so when you've got the money just buy something sit on it wait ten years it will double in price so we were saying it's time in the market rather than timing the market. We'll wrap it up there. Just a round of applause for our guests tonight. And <laughs>